So hopefully uh, you've also found the notes there on your table uh, because tonight we're starting a brand new study. Amen? Hallelujah. Looking forward to this. Really, really looking forward to this. We are going to dive off into the book of Acts. Uh, this is going to be really, really fun. Uh, so hopefully you have your notes. There's not a lot because, quite honestly, tonight we really need to kind of do an introduction. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to cover a few things uh, because watch this. You already know this. I'm going to ask you a question and you'll be able to finish it. We're going to read our Bibles in... Okay, we're going to read it in context. Well, this is one of those times when we also need to understand what that means, okay? Because typically we say, okay, we're going to read our Bible, we're going to read it in context. We have a tendency to think, well, that means, you know, the sentence in front, the sentence in the back, you know, that kind of thing, which it does. Uh, it also does mean read it in the context of that whole book or letter that you're studying, whether it's the gospel accounts or Acts or Romans, Corinthians or whatever, or in the Old Testament, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and, and following. <clears throat> that is true. Uh, also, the context of all of the Bible, right? In other words, it needs to fit the whole contextual story. Um, but here's where it becomes real important in understanding this word context. Context also means the book that you're actually reading, what is it? What is the particular book? In other words, the book of Acts, or we just got through studying the book of John, okay? That is a gospel account. It is, it is also what? Historical. So it's a historical text, but within that text... You have lies, deceit, all that other kind of stuff that was going on, but you also have the teachings of our Messiah. That's all intermixed in the Gospel of John, right? What we're going to be looking at now, I mean, we, we need to remember this because it's incredibly important. <clears throat> we're going to study the book of Acts, and Acts is what? The Acts of the... It's the Acts of the Apostles. So what we're going to be reading is a historical account of the early believers. You following me? What that means is the book of Acts is not a doctrinal dissertation. Well, you know what we're going to see in here? We're going to see all the good, the bad, the ugly we're going to see them making mistakes. While we're reading this, I mean, while we're going through here, do you realize that there's going to be stories like uh, Paul and Barnabas getting into an argument so deep and strong, they split paths. They are vehemently arguing. Uh, we're going to see things like Peter waffling in his attitude towards the Greeks or the Gentiles. Uh, we're going to see the apostles make a decision that looks like it's a godly, God-led decision, only to find out it probably wasn't. 
We're going to see where people are going to come to Christ. We're going to see all kinds of good things. We're going to see the gospel account going out. We're going to see these three times when the gospel account goes out to these different people groups where there's this sign of them speaking these people's languages so they can understand the gospel. Uh, We're going to see all kinds of stuff. But what you have to be very, very careful about is just because you read it in your Bible doesn't mean that's what you need to be doing. Right? Now, some of that, we, we, it's, it's a given. We were like, well, of course. But um, let me give you another example. Uh, in here, we're going to find where Paul, he, you know, he's Saul, he gets saved, you know, uh, there's all kinds of background information. We'll see how many of those rabbits we chase. We could stay forever, right? Because Paul wrote most of the letters we have in our New Testament. Um, but we'll see things where uh, Paul initially, when he first starts his ministry, and he goes to Mars Hill preaching, and he preaches using philosophy, and he's quoting Plato and these other, he's quoting prophet, uh, these uh, um, big thinkers these, with philosophy, these philosophical people. Um, and, and this is where Paul makes a statement. Watch this. I've become all things to all men that by all means possible, I might win some. Okay? What we miss is that if you continue to study the apostle Paul, It's late in his ministry where he says, you know what? I've considered all that stuff rubbish. Now all I know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he's actually arguing against using philosophy to try to talk somebody into the kingdom because he's realized that didn't get him anywhere. Um, and so what I'm saying is, here's what we have a tendency to do. When we believe, we believe in Jesus, we believe in Yeshua as our Savior, and we have this tendency to think, well, okay, if it's in the New Testament, that's what we do. Well, not necessarily. And this is an area where you can get into real serious trouble when just because it's in the book of Acts, then that's what we need to do. You know what we tend to forget? The apostles are not Jesus, They made mistakes. Some of them were huge. These guys were not perfect, even after the resurrection. Are we all okay in saying that? I mean, that kind of that can kind of rattle some folks. Like, oh, hold on a minute. Well, they weren't perfect. They're just like you and my, you and I. I mean, anybody here perfect? Uh, you know, we're not, right? Anybody make a mistake this week? Today? <laughs> uh, or, you know, so there's a lot of things in our lives that we know, okay, we're not perfect. Um, neither were the apostles. Peter wasn't perfect. James wasn't perfect. John wasn't perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. None of them were. And so what we're going to study here is the Acts of the Apostles, and it's a historical account of how did they figure out how to walk out this faith in Yeshua 
and understanding this mystery that Paul talks about, this mystery that before people couldn't understand how God was bringing salvation to the world. What, what is this? Uh, because there was this concept, well, it was just for the Jew, which was also distorted because that's not what God ever said. Isn't it amazing how we're always messing up with what God said and answering a problem that he never had instead of just reading what the text says, right? So that's just a little bit of some background information as we get off into this uh, and we study this book. It's absolutely fascinating. It's going to be fun. And there's about a million different rabbit trails we could go down as we study it. So there's no telling how long it'll take us to finish. I think it took us, what, about nine months to do the book of John? Um, it might take us, I don't know, it, it could take us nine years, but it, it won't take us that. <laughs> so if you got your notes, I'm just going to start with these first three verses, uh, and then we'll look at this together. And once again, I'm reading this from the Scriptures version, and in your notes it's got it there, but it says, The first account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Yeshua began both to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after giving instructions through the set-apart spirit to the emissaries whom he had chosen, that's the apostles, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them for 40 days, speaking concerning the reign of of Elohim, or the kingdom of God. This is where it becomes real important because, okay, <clears throat> when you're reading a book and you're going to read it in context, you need to understand who's talking, who are they talking to, what are they dealing with, what's going on here. We can't, you, it's very dangerous to skim over the introduction to the books and think, okay, let me just get to the meat of it. This is how we are as American. You know, we're like, I just want to know what's going to be on the test, right? So we don't want to read the introductions and all that, like, yeah, 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 okay, he's talking to old Theophilus, whoever that is, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's talking about the, okay, let's get into the meat of it, you know? Well, what you miss is this is the meat of it. This is the thrust for everything we're going to see throughout the rest of this book, and it's really huge, so starting off, it says, the first account that I made, O Theophilus, that should be a clue, right? Who's writing the book of Acts? Luke is writing the book of Acts. So Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. Who did he write it for? Theophilus. So at, all the experts agree that all, the best we can come up with is that Theophilus probably was a wealthy man. And Theophilus pays Luke to do the research and write down basically the accounts of Jesus while he was on the earth, death, burial, resurrection, and all that, and what the apostles were doing. So that, and he tells us here, he says, so that you'll know that what you've been taught is right. And so, folks, back then, I know it's hard to imagine. They didn't have this. <laughs> they didn't have it on the, if you're using your phone, I use my iPad, 
It links with my computer. They didn't have books. They weren't running around with books like we have. Uh, Amazon, the business, did not exist at that time. They, they didn't. And so Theophilus, being a wealthy individual, pays Luke to write this, uh, this stuff down for him so that he could have this, study this, and understand it. So um, let me just read this. Since many have indeed taken in hand, uh, this is... This is out of, I'm, I'm sorry, you need to jot this down. Luke chapter one, verses one through four. This is what Luke says in Luke chapter one, verses one through four, so that you can tie these two books together. Does that make sense? Since many have indeed taken in hand to set in order an account of the matters completely confirmed among us, as those who from the beginning were our witnesses and servants of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me as well, having followed up on all these matters exactly from the beginning to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. There it is in the beginning of the book of Luke. Now he's in the book of Acts and tying these two together. And he goes, that you may know the certainty of the words which you were taught. So you go back to the book of Luke, and this is where you find where he's saying that everybody's been, there's people that have been doing this, people trying to make an account of what has happened. Now for you, Theophilus, I'm making an account, in the book of Luke, of what Jesus did. That's what he's basically saying. <clears throat> and that this account, you can trust it. Now he's saying the same thing in Acts. In the first account, Theophilus, this is what I did. Now I'm doing this again, basically dealing with the apostles. And he says something. He says, that, that first account I did was from the beginning until he was taken up. Now, that's going to come up again here in the very first chapter because he's going to tie those two together. We're not going to get to that tonight. But he's going to tie the ascension of Yeshua to the end of his gospel account. So it's going to overlap right here in the first part of the book of Acts. That's why he's doing that. I told you about what Jesus did, birth, you know, ministry, teaching, arrest, all the problems, crucifixion, burial, resurrection, all, the, all that other stuff that happened afterwards. Now I'm going to write the account from that moment forward. But he says something in here that's absolutely amazing. Because in verse 3, he says that these apostles, Yeshua presented himself to them for 40 days with many infallible proofs. But the main proofs were what? The scars in his body. Remember he told Thomas, and we talked about that, poor old Thomas, we called him Doubting Thomas. He, was, he wasn't anything unlike everybody else, and they could put their hands in the holes that were still in his body. A few months ago, I had something cut off my arm. Well, okay, it's getting harder and harder to see right there. That's a scar. That's not what he told Thomas. He said, put your fingers in this. 
put your finger's hand in the hole in his side. Um, it, it wasn't something healed up and scars. These were like, wow, yeah, you really have a hole. This is real. Um, but then he says he, he did this with many uh, proofs, and he did that for 40 days. And then he says something. One, this is where when you read your introduction too quick, you don't know what the book's about, right? Anybody ever have a test in school over a book and you didn't read the first part of the book and it didn't go too well on the test? I'm probably the only one that that ever happened to, right? Okay, we got one more. All right. So uh, this is one of those areas where if you miss this, you can get sidetracked on something, and especially what we're going to get to tonight, that seems extremely understandable, but it's, I'm afraid it's really confused. People don't really understand even the words coming out of our own mouth. He said he spoke to them for 40 days about something. So slow down for just a second. Yeshua has been raised from the dead. Is he God? Okay, so he's God. And he knows everything from beginning to end. He also knows that he's about to leave. He's already told them that. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. He's going to explain everything. Uh, well, there's going to be this filling, but we already covered that, right? Because he already breathed on the apostles in the end of the book of John. So that's when they got the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other story, right? We're not going to chase that tonight. He's, he's God. And so for 40 days, a little over a month, because he's what? He's waiting on, and then he's going to leave, and Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, Pentecost is coming. Got the wrong feast because I'm thinking of Sukkot coming. So Pen the uh, Feast of Pentecost is coming, 50 days you know, after Passover and all of that. So that's going to come, and that's when this pouring of the Holy Spirit comes on. So he knows, I'm going to leave after 40 days. So he's got a little over a month, and he's going to teach his apostles privately about stuff that he hasn't already been telling them, maybe. Anybody here other than me hear the story that the birth of the church happened in Acts chapter 2, right? Well, if that's some new event that's going to happen in Acts chapter 2, wouldn't you think that if Jesus going, okay, now there's going to be something new. This is going to be totally different. It's going to happen in about 50 days. Uh, that he'd be saying, I'm going to teach them about this new age called the church. It's not what he says. It's not what it says either, is it? It says that he, he spent 40 days with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This is critically important in understanding the rest of this book. Now, this is totally in line with everything Jesus said from the very beginning of his ministry. Right? Right? We tend to make a disconnect here. I'll show you why in just a second. But if you'll jot these, jot these two verses down. In, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, 
This is when he tells the apostles, this is what you're supposed to go out and preach, okay? And in Matthew 10, verse 7, he says, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God, or the reign of God is here. It's at hand. Remember, that's how he burst onto the scene preaching what? The kingdom of God has come. It is near you. It is right here. You go back a couple of chapters in Matthew 6, verse 10. Watch this. This is what we typically call the Lord's Prayer. It's the model prayer when they said, you know, teach us how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, you could quote it, right? Hallowed be your name. And now you know how big that statement is. What's it say? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Fix this problem that's been going on since the garden, right? And so he comes and he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Folks, this is why Jesus came to restore that. And he's going to make a statement about us being empowered to be his witnesses, and we miss it. I'm con totally convinced that we miss the magnitude of what he's really saying because watch this. We just simply, well, I shouldn't say it that, shouldn't say it that way. We simplify the word of God too much. In other words, we just think about it superficially instead of what the text actually says and that those words have meaning. We'll get to that here in just a second. So <clears throat> this is so he spends 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. And it's not what we're thinking. We, we have a tendency to think, well, it's just this uh, nebulous spiritual kingdom because now we're in this church age and it's this spiritual thing. No, it went through a phase of it being... Uh, hard to attach or attach to a place or whatever, but God is uh, very quickly and has been changing that even, well, especially within my lifetime uh, or right before I started in 1948 when he rebirthed the nation of Israel. But he's talking about this, the, the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is for a reason. That's where we're going with all this. There's a reason for him having his kingdom and why he's doing this through uh, human beings, uh, why he chose Israel and what he's trying to accomplish. He's going to put all kingdoms, all kings, all powers under his rule. And it's, and it actually, legally, it happened on the cross. Legally, that's when it happened. It's still being fleshed out. I think God is simply waiting for his time clock to be full so that the number of people that are in his kingdom are those that are supposed to be, so that they're born. Uh, and also because, well, he's symbolic about everything, and I think he's got all this on a one-week or 7,000-year calendar. And I think that's why Jesus is going to come back and he's going to reign for a thousand years. You've heard me talk about that. So then after, it's, this is where Luke, then he's going to follow. So that's what he did. He told them, you know, 
he spent 40 days telling them about the kingdom of God. And then in verse four, he says, and meeting with them, he commanded them, now don't leave Jerusalem, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which you've already heard. So he's saying, Jesus has already told him about the Spirit coming, and he's saying, you need to stay there and you need to wait, and you need to wait in Jerusalem because something very powerful is about to happen. Verse five, it says, because John truly immersed you with water, but you're gonna be immersed with the Holy Spirit or the set-apart Spirit not that many days from now. Verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him saying, Master, would you at this time restore the reign to Israel? Folks, they'd been hearing for 40 days, God talking about the kingdom of God and what did that mean? Once again, they didn't have a New Testament. You need to separate that out for a second. They didn't have a New Testament. They're not even thinking, which they shouldn't have been, of this new church age, kingdom age, and this new thing called the church. If God was going to start something different that he hadn't been doing all along, you would think we would have that somewhere in our Bible. There'd be one prophecy about it. There'd be some talk about it that Jesus would have said, there's going to be this totally new thing called the church. The church means the gathering of his called out believers, which is the same term for actually synagogue or gathering. I know we know it in Greek as ekklesia, but that word means gathering. It means his people. Um, So, he doesn't do that, but what he says is you're going you're gonna, to, this kingdom is going to be restored. And he's in the business because at one point, God walked freely on the earth among us without us having to worry about being killed by his glory. That was in the garden. But then Satan, out of jealousy, attacks, and he attacks us because we're created in his image. Therefore, from that point on, if God were to just show up in our midst, it would have been bad news, right? Folks, this is why we don't have, well, we don't have time tonight, but even uh, in the Torah, when God is telling the Israelites, this is what you're to do, this is how you're to be living your life, this is what you carry with you, this is how you act, 24-7 in your midst. And then he says this weird thing. He says, so that when I come among you, I don't see things I shouldn't be seeing and there's not wrath. Does that make sense? So God's reign and rule was on this earth and there was this interaction between these dimensions freely between angelic beings and human beings in the physical realm, and it was normal. It was just normal. God is restoring all of that all the way back, if you will, to the garden. This is what Jesus, this is what Yeshua is explaining to his apostles for 40 days. That should tell us something. Yes, it's complicated. Yes, it was hard for them to wrap their brain around because they had heard for at least 1,500 plus years 
it's just about the Jews. It's just about the Jewish people. We are the light to the nations. We are all, you know, the list went on and on. And they were just as messed up as, quite honestly, we are and have been about all this stuff because we just, well, we won't read the word for what it says. So when they ask this question, it's in direct response to what we just saw in verse 3. When they say, okay, so he says, you're going to be anointed with power. And they're like, okay, so is this when it happens? This is when you're going to restore all 12 tribes. You're going to do this here on earth. You're going to be back. The temple's going to get, you're going to fill the temple up with your spirit. It hasn't been destroyed yet. This isn't 70 AD. This is around 30, 33. So it's about 30, 35 years before the temple gets destroyed. They can't even believe that's going to happen. It's, it's, they, can't, they can't even relate to that, but he's already told them it's going to happen. So that's why they're going, okay, he's been talking to us for 40 days about the kingdom of God being here. When he sent us out to preach, that's what we were preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. When he showed up, he showed up proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come. Uh, now he's dead, buried, resurrected. We're talking to him. He's telling us for 40 days something's about to happen. He's telling us we're going to wait. We've already heard him telling us he's going to the Father. They're trying to put these pieces together and they go, okay, so is now the time when you're going? This is it, right? This is, why they, this is why this is so prevalent. And this is why it's so prominent in their mind because this is the main thrust of their preaching and teaching. You need to come to Yeshua and enter into his kingdom. Because the reign of God is here, and he's restoring all of this. I want you to see something. Um, in Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 33, uh, <clears throat> this is straight out of uh, the Scriptures version, their footnote. Uh, I just want you to notice this. This isn't just my idea. Uh, this is right out of their footnotes. You can jot this down. It says, in his reply to this question, Yeshua did not deny this fact. Rather, his reply merely was that the time for the physical setting up of his reign is only known to the Father. He doesn't rebuke them for it. He doesn't even correct them. He doesn't say, that's not what... He doesn't say, hold on, y'all didn't get it, did you? Been 40 days, and now you're going to ask me this dumb question. I used to preach, I used to teach that what they were thinking was that that meant they was going to kick Rome out. It's because I didn't understand the passage like I do today. Um, if you go back to um, Luke chapter 1 again, but this is in verses 31 through 33. Watch this. This is going to be talking about what? The birth of the Messiah. The angel shows up. He's talking to Mary. says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a son, right? Fairly familiar with that. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. And see, you will conceive in your womb, and you shall give birth to a son, and you're going to call his name Yeshua. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Most High. 
and Yahovah, our God, or our God, shall give him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there shall be no end to his reign. Wow. So there's going to be no end to his reign. He says, literally, this is what you're going to name him because his name means Yahovah saves. That's what his name means. So he said, this is what you're going to call him, salvation, Yeshua. Um, and, and it says in there that he's going to come and God's going to give him a kingdom and his kingdom will be forever. His kingdom will be over, the, over Jacob, which is what? Israel, and that his kingdom will have no end. It will be forever. <clears throat> so this is what was declared about Jesus, about Yeshua, before he's even born. It's all through your Old Testament. Uh, Luke is tying these things together, and this is where uh, Jesus says, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. They're asking about when, not if. Did you catch that? They're not asked. They're totally convinced. They got it. They're like, okay, we're going to spend more time unpacking that. Uh, but I, tonight I think you'll get a, the bigger picture on exactly what that really is. Uh, and why a comment is made that I think we look at too superficially. Um, but he says, listen, you're not to worry about the times because the Father has set those times by his authority. Do you notice it doesn't say that God knows how things are going to be, therefore he makes his plan fit those things. God isn't guessing. He has decided exactly how everything is going to unfold. It says that he's put that by his authority, how this is all going to unfold and exactly when Yeshua comes back and all that stuff and everything is really finalized. You following that? And he says, so that's not what you're supposed to worry about. Now we're going to get to the really great passage that we all know about. You know, you're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses on and on, right? He says, you're not to worry about that. Here's what you need to do. Going back to him saying, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to go there. You're going to stay here in Jerusalem and wait when this power comes on you. And this is where he says this in verse 8, which is where we're really going to stop tonight. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit or the set-apart Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Hallelujah, amen, right? Well, that was too quiet. Hallelujah, right? Amen. So we're going to be, it says that they will go there and they're going to have, the Holy Spirit's going to come on, they're going to be filled with power. Power to do what? Exactly. Power to be his witnesses. Power to be his witnesses. Of, now let's carry on with this a little bit. His witnesses about what? 
about the kingdom of God and that he had conquered everything at the cross and that he really is God in the flesh. This is why in your New Testament it says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, those that deny that Jesus, Yeshua, really is God in the flesh. So those that deny that Jesus is God, I'm sorry, that's a lie out of the pit of hell and it comes from the spirit of the Antichrist. Now that might be shocking, but that's in your New Testament. Those that deny that Jesus is God is denying his deity and his ability to conquer sin and death. It's paramount. When we're confessing Jesus, you need to understand, you're not just confessing him as your savior. When we confess him, we're confessing, no, he's God in the flesh, none other than. That's what we're confessing. And then we're going to live our lives in loyalty to that conquering king. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, clap something, right? Uh, that, that's what we're all about. So this filling of the Holy Spirit and this empowerment is to empower us to be positive witnesses. Folks, the Holy Spirit isn't here to give us, I don't know, fame and fortune and stuff. Those are all byproducts of walking with our God and our King. The paramount reason for the Holy Spirit to come is to show people that Jesus really is the Son of the living God, that He really is raised from the dead, and that He really ha has already conquered everything. That's why in the epistles it says that what Jesus did was He made a spectacle of them on the cross. All of the demonic realm. I've said for years, I believe that's why it was dark. Even physically dark. When Jesus was dying on the cross and all that was happening and it says, and it grew dark. You know, I think why every demon in all of the unseen realm creation was there watching. Oh, this was God's plan. Woo Look at there. We killed the king. We killed the son. Whoa. He's all that, isn't he? And it says that he literally made a public spectacle of them on the cross when he was nailed to the cross because they were all there. And then when he's in the ground, he wasn't in there waiting. It says he went down and preached to these demons in hell. You guys thought you had a plan, didn't you? What you didn't realize is my father is the creator and I am with him. We are the creator of everything. And you thought you would destroy the humans that you hated. Therefore, I became one of them to purchase their salvation. How you like that? And to prove to you that I have the power to do it, I'm going to show everybody that I'm still alive and you didn't kill me. That's what he was preaching. Powerful. So <clears throat> he empowers us to be this witness. And then it says this. This is the part that I think we look at too superficially. Why? Because words mean things. And it goes back, I'm going to go ahead and say it, back to a replacement theology mindset that has still infected every person in this room. 
Because we read this and we go, and I've even taught it, okay? I've taught it, so I know I'm guilty, okay? I was taught it in school, and I used to teach this. It says, and you're going to be my witnesses. Where are we going to be as witnesses? You already know the story, right? We're going to start where? In Jerusalem. Then we're going to go where? Judea and Samaria. And then where? To the end of the earth. And so what does that really mean? Here's what we've, this is what I've always said. This is what it means. Well, you're going to start where you are, and then you're going to go out to your neighborhood, and then you're going to go down the street to the next city, and then you're going to go on global missions around the world, and we're going to preach the gospel to the end of the earth because that's what we're supposed to do. Okay. All through the scripture, it tells us what? That salvation comes to the world, but what? To the Jew first and then to the world, right? Why is it saying this? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria, and then it's going to go out to the rest of the world. He's talking about the fact that what? The nation of Israel, it's his, his reign, his kingdom. That's what he's talking about. I told everybody that I would show everybody that I'm God because I'm going to take one guy from a pagan family. I'm going to tell him to leave his household and he's going to go wandering in the desert. Out of everybody on this big ball, I'm going to take one guy that's old with no children. I'm going to birth a nation out of a guy a hundred years old, and his wife is 90, can't have kids. I'm going to do the impossible. So I'm going to start with that, if that's not small enough. And then I'm going to take these, this couple, and they're going to have messed up kids. You got Ishmael. That worked out great, didn't it? You know, once again, trying to solve God's problem when he doesn't have one. So then I'm going to birth a nation. And then through that nation, I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm God. And through that nation, I'm going to send the Messiah. And the whole purpose is to prove to everybody I'm God. Everybody come into my kingdom. Right? Pretty much just that simple. We have a tendency to look at this simply geographically. That's what I'm getting at. And that's what we teach. Why would we teach that? Well, because, quite honestly, God is through with the Jew. That's where it comes from, replacement theology. God is through with the Jew. And so what is he saying here? You're going to start witnessing here in Jerusalem, and then you're going to go out to these other people, and then from there it's going to go to the end of the world. Now, is that true? Yes, it's true. But we don't understand the words coming out of our mouth. That's the point. Does that make sense? So he wants us to understand that he wants us in his kingdom, and his kingdom is real, doesn't mean that you're quote-unquote Jewish. You, get, you need to separate a few things here because we trip up over that stuff. Does that make sense? Sorry, you guys are coming in with a crash course. <laughs> uh, but um, there's two separate things going on here. God is going to do something prophetically with the people of Israel to prove that he really is God. Doesn't mean that if you have Hebrew blood flowing through you that you get a, a pass. Everybody that's come into the kingdom of God has always come by faith. 
whether that was Abraham and before all that other stuff, all the way back to Adam and Eve and Enoch and everybody back there, up to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their kids, all the way into the New Testament. It doesn't matter if you're a church member, doesn't matter if you don't